0: My name is Dr. Nate Shannock. And my name is Merrick Egber. This is the official podcast of the Els for Autism Foundation for Autism.
1: We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name, and Merrick and I are both terrible golfers.
0: But we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with autism.
1: When I'm not on the podcast, I'm part of our growing research team and a tennis coach.
0: And when I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant filling in the gaps of each department like Lou. I'm also autistic. This is our 21st episode of the podcast, End the Year Giving with special guest Deb Hodes. This is not our important episode. What we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation Interviews are feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole. Speaking of which, we also have our Today in the World of Autism segment where we posit the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. Also check our show notes for websites, resources, and other groovy things we would like to have on the written record for all of you for autism fans. First, here are some news and updates about the foundation. Tune into our last episode, episode 20, where we talked to Pam Minnelli of our board of directors about our adult services building's capital campaign to celebrate hashtag Giving Tuesday, which was the last day of November. Make sure to listen to the whole program to get an idea of what we were doing as a foundation during that time and learn something new about the autism community for our Today in the World of Autism segment. Two times a year and this, uh, is about our interability course two times a year led by our fantastic music therapist Erica Lyles. Um, We hold concerts put together on campus of a collection of clients and singers from generally the Palm Beach Opera who sing popular songs for our audiences the year. We have strong rehearsal schedules as this is one of our two programs that asks for a full commitment for the season. And one of our clients is even able to sign the music for any deaf audience members. hard of hearing. This program demonstrates the harmonization between people with ASD and people without working in tandem as a chorus. Our last concert was held on Friday, December the 10th at 6 o'clock p.m. with a lot of holiday standards and was very successful. For any future interest in the program, please contact Kelly Coots, our rec coordinator. Next up, we have our musical theater program. Also, another treat that happens two times a year is our musical theater program, led by the Right on Cue theater director, Allie Evans, which has held several big productions over the years with us, including adaptations of The Adventures of Peter Pan and Footloose. In these productions, some of which, due to COVID-19 restrictions, were made into movies, our clients get to learn all the dramatic skills, including singing and acting. Some time ago, I wrote an article about our theater program and why it is so important that a dramatic arts gets to have a role in the development of someone with ASD, which I will showcase through the written materials after the broadcast ends. This Thursday, well, this past Thursday at 4.30 p.m., a theater troupe performed in a holiday special known as The Christmas Mystery, which was about detectives on the search to find the spirit of Christmas. A very talented group of dramatists uh, regaled our audiences with the love, cheer, and joy of the holiday season. So as with the Interability Chorus, please contact Kelly Coots, a rec coordinator. Okay, Rec programs for next year. We are coming around the corner of all of our programs of the year. We're finishing off our kickball, tennis, golf, dance, music therapy, music theater, interability Chorus and other programs. It's been another great year for us as a foundation to nurture the talents of our community but pretty soon we will be having winter sessions open for that variety of programs too. Make sure to stay posted for our new session of recreation services that will begin in January with our sports slash fitness programs, our reach and teach through the arts programs and our virtual programs. As usual, Kelly Coots is the contact. Call for new volunteers for next year. As we will be having new programs start at the beginning of next year, it is also imperative to know that we can sure use volunteers for all those new programs. All positions already imperative for us to build volunteers for. We've had volunteers for a kickball, tennis, golf, music theater, and third ability course along with other positions in our clinical, marketing slash development and administrative departments. I, along with Bill Allen, our director of development will be good point people to contact about volunteer positions. Our blog article for December, It is the end of another year and to celebrate end of year giving, I decided to pen a personal pitch related to our capital campaign for the adult services building. The article is about my personal experiences, the need for an adult services building, and the newest prevalence rate of autism for a population that will eventually all become adults. In our notes, I will send a link to our blog archives to work on. Lastly, as a big piece of foundation news, uh it's about we are foodies the third week of december was our last cohort of we are foodies for the year since i returned to the office last month i was able to revel in our cohorts delightful display of their skills in food management inventory and sales the food was excellent and the crew was enthusiastic each new session we invite a few clients to work with us in our hashtag we are foodies microbusiness, where they learn the ins and outs of the food service industry in order to secure future employment through what they have learned. They usually go all around Palm Beach County selling sandwiches, salads, snacks, and drinks. They've even ran the concession stands for our movie nights. Make sure to contact Trudy Zayak, Adult Services Director, for more details. Now before we um, get into our interview, I would just like to ask my co-host um, how he uh, plans to spend the holiday. Well, uh, Nate, how do you plan to spend the holidays? Well,
1: I'll be spending the holidays the way that I usually do and the way that I have always loved spending it. And that's just getting together with my family and having some quality food, maybe playing a little tennis or pickleball and just trying to spread the holiday spirit. But well, you... <laughs> yeah, I was just going to add um, the gathering will be local this year. I will not be traveling to Chicago um, or anywhere like that to see family.
0: Well, you're going to stay local, and I'm going to trek around the Pacific Northwest in Idaho, Oregon and um, Washington State, because Idaho and Oregon are the last two states in my 50-state journey that I have yet to completely visit. So, um, Hey, the, producer, can we get some applause here? Um, I will try to add some sound effects in post-production, but I have a feeling that it will just annoy the heck out of people, so I'm not going to do it. But anyway, I can just basically say, yay, this is, uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. And um, have, you actually, have you been to Idaho, Oregon, or Washington State before? I have not
1: been to any of those three states. And I, I want to tell you, Merrick, how impressed I am with the journey you've taken to to at some point in your life, this will be you reaching all 50 states. And um, what a great way to celebrate our country and um, all the great landscapes and, and places to visit there are here. I think that's just super cool.
0: Yeah, I don't even know if the Boy Scouts have a badge for something like that, <laughs> because that is definitely a merit badge of some sort. I should probably ask if I can get you know, it would have an image of the whole country, including Hawaii and Alaska. And it would just have like all 50 or like, it would be like in gold or something, a gold backing. And you would just have like the circle of like all the States and everything. And I could just show it around and wear it and be like, I've been to all 50 States, you know? And, uh, I could basically ask, well, what have you done? But they'll probably say something like, I I discovered a cure for cancer. And I would just be like, you know, you, you really outdid me. You did so (laughs) much better than I ever did. I just went to all 50 states and you found a cure for cancer. So, you know, I, I don't think you'd come across too
1: many people who could outdo you in that sense.
0: Well, what about someone who has explored, um you know the greatest reaches of the world all (laughs) over the every continent uh you know well I would just say I've been to all 50 states and then they'll ask me well where have you been outside the country and then they'll just rattle off obscure name after obscure name like a co-worker I know but uh I'm not really going to point out his name or anything like that but uh uh, a, a really, really, really smart individual, and I'm pretty sure that uh, I haven't really asked him too much about traveling, but I'm pretty sure that you know that that his vision of a travel journey would be a lot more uh, ambitious than mine would ever be. I'll tell you so, what:
1: after you visit Idaho, Oregon, and Washington State, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to provide us with your favorite five states that you've been to?
0: Well, it's funny because I actually could come up with three of the five right now, but um, I I will wait until I visit them all and then you can ask me about the top five states. You heard it here. To be continued, next episode. (laughs) Next episode. All right, anyways. On to the interview. All right. So, tis the season for giving. Generally, the largest period of time for charitable giving and donations would have to be November and December at the end of the year. Whether it be to celebrate the holidays, perhaps to bring in the new year, I've read that for some organizations, 30% of all donations and charitable giving happens at the end of the year. Which has also been called end of year giving. Our special guest is no stranger to end of year giving. Ever since we recorded our contributions in twenty sixteen, she has been heavily consistent in giving, especially at the end of the year, has also been a volunteer extraordinaire for us, especially in golf. Her name is Deb Hodes, and I have thought that for such an individual with such a heart, it would be good to interview her for our last podcast episode of the year. Please be sure to listen to our every word as to how important our foundation and center are and why your donations, past, present, and future, can be so helpful for us to cultivate the talents of those with autism in order to make, help make a difference worldwide. Deb Hodes, thank you for being on our show tonight. Before we begin, is there anything you would want to tell about yourself that I missed in my introduction?
2: Uh, no I will explain how I got involved with the organization why I, it has changed my life and how important uh, the foundation is and how much how strongly I feel about end of year giving as well as any time giving frankly to the Ls uh, for excellence school.
0: Great preview. So let me start off by asking you the very first question Given that you are one of the most avid and generous volunteers, could you speak a little about why you were first motivated to work with individuals on the spectrum?
2: Sure. Um, I belong to a club up in uh, the Northeast and Purchase called Century Country Club, and there is a member there who has a son that is on the spectrum, and he had an outing uh, for L's for Autism back in 2014. I was still living up north at the time during the winter because I had kids at home still, but I met Ernie and Liesel at that meeting as well as Marlene and Pam Minnelli. And I was so moved and uh, by what they spoke about and their son Ben and how much they have done for children with autism in this country where in the rest of the world, there is hardly any resources whatsoever. So at that outing, I actually went up to Ernie, introduced myself, and he said, where do you spend your winters? I said, starting next year, I'm going to be in Jupiter. And he said, well, what do you do down there besides play golf? And I said, not enough. And I'd like to become a part of your organization because I was just incredibly impressed and moved by what you and Liesl just spoke about Um, and he said great he said give us a call when you get down there and I did uh, November of 2015 I believe and I have been involved with the foundation and the school mostly in the golf uh, and fitness area ever since and uh, it has changed my life living in Jupiter during the winter.
0: Okay. We know that our clients benefit greatly from the work contributed by our volunteers, but what have been some aspects of the work that are rewarding to
2: you? Well, I've worked with a lot of the same kids uh, over these years, and I've gotten to know them, and they know me. And I would say one of the most rewarding things is to see these kids grow and mature and become so passionate about golf or fitness or whether it's chipping or putting and just to see the looks on their face when they make a hole in one and their enthusiasm and it literally just lifts your spirits to see these kids get such joy out of what they practice so hard doing um, every Tuesday, Thursday, Friday afternoon um, as well as I've met some incredibly wonderful, giving, loving people through the first tee. And we all work together uh, to help each other out. Um, Kelly Kutz has been a big part of this in the last several years. And it is one of the most satisfying things I've probably ever done in my life.
0: Okay. Um, what are some other sports or activities you would like to see offered by the Els Autism Foundation?
2: Well, um, we have tennis now. I think we're working on track and field. Um, I know that with one of the gifts I gave last year, we started a bicycle program, which uh, Ernie said was wonderful, and Ben loves it during the summer. I believe we do it during the uh, summer camps, where there are bicycles with two seats on them, and either an aide rides with a kid or or someone else, um, an adult rides with the kids, and they've loved that. Um, you know, it would be great to get a swimming program in. Um, I mean, there's so many sports out there, Merrick, that, um, these kids could benefit from that to see them blossom in golf, which is not an easy sport. Um, you know, we could try to add pickleball. We could try to add several, um, other outdoor sports, um, you know, swimming is one I think of track and field. Um, we have tennis and, you know, i can't really think of too many else, but they, uh, you know, they just thrive on this stuff and to see them outdoors getting fresh air and improving every year in this one sport, um, has been just, you know, just unbelievable to me.
0: And I do know that, um, Kelly has, uh, talked lovingly about the bicycling um program that is now had on campus uh
2: you know she has talked
0: about how ben um who hasn't really um i think it was actually lisa who uh mentioned that that ben um who wouldn't be expected to ride a bike all by himself because of the bikes that we have on campus. Right. He is basically having the time of his life.
2: He is. Liesl told me, get him off that bike. (laughs) 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 He just loves it. And it's just great to see these kids so happy and get such joy out of, you know, just the little small steps in life. Uh, When you have a child, with autism is just so rewarding to see. And I, I walk away from that campus every day I'm there with a huge smile on my face and a, a big filled heart because it is really, really something special to, to witness.
0: Okay. So um, sort of turning a corner here in our interview, I like to ask, um, what is important about end-of-year giving?
2: Well, I think, um, you know, giving at any time during the year, Merrick, is really, really important, but end-of-the-year is a time where you tend to reflect back on your year, other people's years, people who have been much less fortunate than you, whether it's because of tornadoes or earthquakes or COVID or whatever, but, you know, my involvement with Ells for Excellence and, and the foundation has been one where I, I think of you know, how lucky um, I am to be blessed with working with these kids and how contributing to their future and to what they may utilize to you know, just get more joy out of life. Uh, at the end of the year is a time where I tend to think about people who are less fortunate Although I would say these kids are really fortunate because um, I I do know that they get incredible joy out of life. But for the families, I think it's, you know, it's a tough time of year and the end of the year is no better time of year than to give to people who aren't as blessed as you may be in your life.
0: Okay. Well, that's definitely a great answer. Um You know, it's, it's all about reflecting on like a a year at a glance. Correct. So that's fantastic. Um, Why should people donate to us?
2: Um, I think what Ernie and Liesl and Marlene and everyone else has done with the um, Ells for Excellent School um, and the foundation is by and far one of the most successful um, foundations I've contributed to and been involved in. And I think what they have done and the foundation has done for children with autism, which there are very, very few resources for this, you know, type of um, type of school, and what they have done with. The L's for Excellent location and expanded it with the golf and the tennis and the new cafeteria, the high school. When I first started, there was no high school. I mean, all of the donations are just help making this organization something that can help hundreds and thousands of children and adults with autism all around the world. I mean, they're not just Americans. They are they come from all over the world for this school. And now that we're starting some assisted, li- some living uh, quarters on campus, you know, we, our goal is to get these children right up to mainstream, you know, uh, mainstream life, which I believe is a good reason and a great reason to support this organization is to have these people and these kids get all the way through the school and then live there and contribute to society and feel wanted and needed and, and all of which they are. And they can contribute equally as well as anybody else.
0: So I know that you know a little bit about the different methods that you can uh, donate to us. Can you speak from your experiences and your knowledge about the methods that people can use to donate to us?
2: Sure. Um, Well, you can certainly donate to the foundation in general, and you know it will be directed to a specific aspect of the school or the organization. Um, You can also donate specifically, like I did last year, to um, a new bicycle program, which we thought the kids would be in love with. And Ben, um, Ernie and Liesl's son is so in love with riding his bike. Uh, Liesl says he he never really gets off of it anymore. And that's someone who could never really ride a bike on his own without that help. Um, There are other ways of donating as well. Um, You can donate sets of golf clubs for the kids, uh, rackets for the tennis Program um, any kind of fitness equipment for recreation. You can donate towards the adult services program, which is an ongoing, um, you know, project. Um, and you know there are other specific things that you know if you are so inclined to to ask um, Marlene or anybody in the organization, you uh, definitely can donate to a specific aspect of the foundation
0: okay so thank, thank you uh, Deb for uh, being uh, for being interviewed for this uh, segment and for this podcast and we really really would like for uh, anyone to uh, be able to um, um, donate to us and to basically spread the cheer and the joy of the season through um, the different contributions you all can make to us as we salute the new year of 2022.
2: Well, I will certainly be one of those people and I have spread the word to many of my friends who have also gotten involved and donated, as well as my family. Um, and I will continue to do so because this is one of the greatest causes of all time.
0: Okay, thank you so much.
2: You are welcome. Have a happy holiday and a happy new year.
0: Okay. Today we have, as usual, today in the world of autism, starting with my co-host, Dr. Nate Chinock and his fantastic research-oriented story.
1: Welcome, welcome all. We have a great, scintillating set of stories for today. So first, I'd like to report to you that on December 6th, the well-known scientific journal, The Lancet, published a special report by the Commission on the Future of Care and Clinical Research in Autism. And this report introduced a new term within the field of autism called profound autism. The decision to introduce this new term comes with the intention of describing autistic individuals who are severely affected and are likely to need 24-hour support throughout their lives. According to the report, terms such as profound autism have the potential to provide more accurate characterizations of specific autism cases within this very broad and growing spectrum. Another key goal of this report is to provide parents, service providers and the public with a more concise term that can then lead to quicker communication of the support and service needs of an individual. We know that no two individuals with autism will appear the same. Some of those living with autism are valedictorians and others have intellectual disabilities. Some will engage in destructive or self-injurious behaviors, while others do not. Some are able to live independently, while others may need help with daily living tasks like cooking, cleaning, and brushing teeth. A few days prior to this report, the CDC announced an updated autism prevalence rate of one in 44 children. With this increased prevalence, there very well may be a need for terms like profound autism that more accurately classified the needs of individuals within the spectrum. One of the authors of the report, Allison Singer, who's also president of the Autism Science Foundation, also argued that more depiction of this type of autism in popular media would be helpful. So individuals with a condition like profound autism or those who are severely affected there have been popular shows like The Good Doctor and Atypical, which do an excellent job of bringing awareness to a certain level of functioning within the spectrum, but there's not much media when it comes to these more severely affected cases. That was the argument made by Allison Singer. Merrick, what are your thoughts on the use of the term profound autism, as well as the
0: statement by Allison Singer? So first, I would like to uh, talk about the term profound autism because not too long ago, there was a the term severe autism, which was used to pretty much define the same type of person. And I'm not sure if the feeling that profound is more appreciative of the differences or, or it's more, you know, more of a polite way of saying severe autism but i will say though that we already have that term covered however um i i do like the term profound autism to describe people who are severely affected or they need a lot more supports and i think that it's um I think that it's a more descriptive way of classifying individuals because when you say severe, you know, it's just basically, you know, um, the, the word severe brings to mind something like a malady or it brings to mind something like a disease or an illness. When something is profound, that all has to do with the mind. That has to do with the neurology. That has to do with um, the way your brain works. And so in a way, I think profound autism to use it is probably going to be, it's probably something that should catch on more. We live in a world where it feels like every single year and every single day, there's always something new developing in the field. I would not think that uh, in 2013, my uh, sub uh, part of the condition, um, Asperger's syndrome, would be basically absorbed into the umbrella concept of the autism spectrum. I never would have uh, thought that that would happen. And now what we're basically seeing is we're seeing uh kind of what sounds like a substitution from severe autism to profound autism, which, like I said, is probably a more correct terminology to describe what autism is. Um, so I find that to be uh, very interesting. Um, and because it was on December 6, when this all uh, came through, Um, The problem is, is that for other organizations and foundations to catch on to something like that um, at the end of the year, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's not the best timing for something like that. But I think that once all the smoke settles and once the holidays are over and once everything settles down, then it can be time to assess and understand the term profound autism. Um, This is definitely something that I think can uh, be uh, a very interesting discussion point on many different fronts. And so um, I'm very, very glad that you brought it to my attention, Nate. Um, As far as Alison Singer is concerned, um, I do believe that um, there has to be a greater diversity of representation with uh, that has to do with autism. Um, you have had examples of individuals who may have closer to a profound autism, like the character Music in the movie of the same name, although she is nonverbal, uh, she would probably represent more of what Alison Singer is talking about. Um, You also, of course, have the icon of the whole thing with uh, Raymond Babbitt from Rain Man, who showed more of a sense of profound autism. I think that what maybe needs to be represented more are, are not the extremes, I think that there should definitely be someone who would sort of serve within what I would like to call the down the middle aspect of the community. And I know some of our clients represent that very, very well. They're pretty verbal, but they also, you know, they have difficulties, they have struggles, they have other things going on, but they're very verbal um so it's like there's like a whole lot of stuff going on there and i think that if you can show that middle road where the person would not be seen as having asperger's and not be seen as having profound autism but router is the mainline sense of the phrase then that would be uh very interesting because you know so what I put in my blog article is that people like me are not, uh, you know, we, we should probably not be the only face or be the face of adults with autism um, because, you know, so many adults with autism are not at all like me. And so many of them need a lot more supports than I do. I just happen to be, you know, the biggest celebrities, the most well-known people are those who are adults of autism and they are a lot like me, but you know, the the people who sort of get overlooked are the ones who are not like me at all. And I'm just, I'm just glad to know every single person that is representative of every part of the spectrum, and I think that, uh, as I have said before, I think that what we need to do in order to create better representation is to make people realize that people who may need supports and the like are not dumb, are not stupid. They may have they may have difficulties doing things, but that they they have to be seen as those who who serve humanity and who serve in the same sense as anyone else in this world, and that they can be as useful, they can be as intelligent. Maybe not in the uh, you know in the specifically clinical way, but in their own way that they can show their vast intelligence. And I think that that really is probably going to be um, going to be a goal. Um, yeah. to, to basically get everyone involved, you know? It, it's 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 important. Um and uh yes, if you just basically bring everyone's attention to people who function uh more like me, then all you're basically telling people is that adults of autism are super geniuses or that they don't need that many supports. And, you know, once a a 16 year old um, who uh, needs a lot of supports becomes 20, those supports may not change. And people have to think about that. Uh, It's, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and- I'm also very grateful uh, for the Autism Science Foundation because they actually have uh, helped us with our support group for siblings with autism called Sam Sits Sick Together. So I, I really do appreciate um, the Autism Science Foundation. And I also really hope that because of our branch to um, to them that, you know, that this could turn into a very interesting discussion about portrayals of autism in popular media and the term profound autism too. So this is an invitation, Allison Singer, to uh, you know, let's have a meeting of the minds here
1: because yes. I would be very interested
0: and fascinated in the discussion with you.
1: We absolutely love the work that you and the National uh, um, the Autism Science Foundation are doing, and um, very commendable work. Like Merrick said, anytime you would like to join us on the podcast, we will certainly reserve a seat. So Merrick, you you provided a lot of insightful information there. I, I wanted to respond at several points, but um, I'll try to try to hit on some of the highlights that I think you brought up. Um, First of all, the point that from a linguistic standpoint, profound versus severe, it sounds a little bit, I guess more, um, maybe a little bit less intimidating um, would be the word that I would use. So profound has a little bit of a more positive connotation In general. And and I think it it would be a little more kind to the individuals to use a term like that versus severe. Um, Also, I really like the point about maybe presenting in media individuals who would more fall in the middle of the spectrum uh, versus what we tend to have portrayed are these individuals who I think you said they're like super geniuses or evil geniuses. And, um, they, they are, they're usually these very intelligent, smart, uh, funny, appealing people. And I do think it's, it's maybe a problem in both TV shows portraying individuals with autism and people in general, uh, that we, we kind of see a bias towards those types of uh, individuals, but to use, um, clients, you know, people who are more similar to clients of the foundation that you and I have interacted with, I think would be uh, a really good thing to see. So, yeah, just appreciate, uh, your thoughts there. I do think it's, uh, an interesting term and we'll see in the coming months, whether it catches on and if there's any, potential movement with the the dsm the diagnostic um and statistical manual of mental health of mental health disorders to include a term like this or you know a separate condition somewhere down the road
0: yeah i definitely do agree with you it would be very interesting to see how they would update well you know because it is basically when it comes to my condition it's, it's basically uh what people would call the bible of you know relevant relevancy about uh anything related to like neurology mental health whatever it is and uh so basically um it's that's that's sort of what we follow and that's sort of where we go you know if it basically says that you have to you know use the term profound autism I'm sure that every single organization and foundation will maybe use that term but it's like Asperger's. Um, you know I still use that term to define me even though the DSM says it doesn't exist anymore I still use that term I know many others who do but I think that the difference though is that when it comes to a term like profound autism you know, uh, those are individuals who need a lot of support and who who need, you know, they, they need the kind of, uh, help that, um, and they don't have that kind of culture, I guess, that, that would, you know, lead to like, uh, you know, the strongest self-advocacy and the like, if I'm wrong, then you can correct me, but, um, Basically, um, you know, it's, it's uh, I, I, I think that the profound autism will catch on a lot greater than the erasure of Asperger's syndrome, is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it will be very interesting. So I'll skip on to my second story here, which is a little more... Um, neuroscience related. And so I want to report on a study that was done at Yale University, where uh, they found an interesting finding in terms of how white matter is distributed across the brain of individuals with autism. So first of all, I want to point out that within the brain, Gray matter represents all of the billions and billions of neurons while white matter represents the connections amongst these neurons. And more specifically, the imaging of this white matter is a reflection of a substance called myelin sheath that is a substance in the brain. And it helps speed up the rate at which messages are transmitted from neurons to neurons. So the more white matter that you see, it's kind of a proxy for connections. Um, And you can think of gray matter as the actual computer and the white matter as all of the circuits needed for the computer to send information. So this team of researchers at Yale, they analyzed and published the results of their study, which looked at a technique called diffusion tensor imaging or DTI. And this is a technique that gives you a brain scan that basically just shows the gray matter distribution and the white matter distribution within the brain. And they did this on 264 individuals with autism. The participants had a broad age range spanning between six months and 50 years. And their results were compared to a control group of 319 age matched people without autism. So, in adolescents and young adults with autism, the researchers found significantly less white matter substance within the anterior and middle tracts of the corpus callosum in those with autism compared to those within the control group. I want to point out that the corpus callosum is a large bundle of nerve fibers that allows the left and right hemispheres of the brain to connect and communicate with one another. This finding is insightful as the corpus callosum has previously been found to be less well developed in individuals who struggle with facial emotion recognition. Additionally, females tend to have more connected corpus callosums overall. They have more white matter connecting uh, the left and right hemispheres here. And some have hypothesized that this is a key driving force into gender related differences in emotional recognition and understanding. It's an interesting theory, certainly. Merrick, although the did not control for gender in this study, I wonder if females with autism would also display uh, this biomarker on a consistent basis. So I want to ask you though, why is biomarker research
0: like this so important in the field of autism? Well, first I would like to ask you if you can explain to our listening audience what exactly a biomarker is because in the story you pointed out, you talked about, you know, white matter, gray matter. You talked about um, DTI. You talked about all of this, um, the corpus callosum, but what exactly is a biomarker?
1: Yeah, that is a good, a good idea to clarify this for our listeners. Um, A biomarker is any it could be, uh, any measure of a biological characteristic. Um, so it, it, could be something like heart rate, blood pressure, um, breath rate and looking within the brain biomarkers could be electrophysiological, uh, meaning you could be looking at activation in different areas of the brain biomarkers within the brain could also be structural. So you could look at whether the volume of a certain area is abnormally large or abnormally slow. And in the case of this article, the biomarker that was being researched was through through the diffuser tensor imaging or DTI, they were looking for abnormalities in terms of either white matter and gray matter. And the key biomarker that they found was that the corpus callosum um, had significantly less white matter in individuals with autism, suggesting less connected left and right hemispheres. Um, So yeah, that's that's a good summary of a biomarker, I think.
0: So you would probably sort of consider it genealogical. Yeah, I would. I would
1: say that it's, um, you know, it's anything, I guess, really anything um, within the body, uh, some measure of what's what's occurring in one of the, the key systems of the body, but, um, you know, getting back to you to utility um there's been some question as to whether observable behavior gives you, um, you know, enough of an objective way of identifying autism or tracking symptoms over time. And when you have a biomarker, I think one more key characteristic I'd like to point out is that um, these are, these are very objective measures. Um, These are things that, you hope that if you do them 10 times out of 10, if you conduct an EEG or if you, um, you know, conduct uh, a measure of a person's blood pressure, then these measures are going to be stable over time.
0: Yeah, that's, that's uh, an answer to your question. Um, that's <laughs> what I think is so important about this because there's just so much mystery around autism. You've got a lot of different people saying a lot of different things about, you know, what's the cause, like, why does this person have autism? Why does this person not have autism? And so I think that the further and further you go into the realm of certainty and the more you can pinpoint, oh, these people have a different set of this or that person has a different set of that, then it is actually it actually makes the mystery become more solvable where you're not basically looking at at something and going, okay, well, it, it also helps with um, people who are who if they don't, how can I say this? People who maybe, have more uncertainty about why this is caused by whatever or why this is happening, uh, may look at the person with autism through a very different lens than someone who actually has points of certainty, you know? And it actually can grow a greater culture of appreciation, tolerance, and understanding of those with autism because they can look and go you know the brains are different you know and they're made in a different way or they're molded in a different way but that doesn't you know make someone bad it doesn't make someone you know this or that it just makes someone to have a different brain and uh, I think that that is uh very very important um you know I can't exactly uh as much as I can explain so much going on, I can't always explain what's going on in my brain. And it's, it's just good that there are people out there who want to know and want to find out this stuff. You know, it, it's, it's, it's to me, extremely valuable. Extremely valuable.
1: Yeah, and I I think two more points I'd like to make is that one the use of biomarkers can go a long way in helping a field to become more medical uh, to the point where you know if a person breaks their leg or um, you know they're having they're having back problems or trouble breathing um, kind of the first step would be to do some sort of scan um, or some you know use some instrument to get an objective measure and like you were saying, this can do a lot as far as um, you know, helping people to understand that there is something biologically going on that's um, contributing to symptoms that are being experienced or abnormal behaviors that are being displayed. And this is by no means to try to minimize the importance of behavioral observation and behavioral training in general. These are extremely important within the field of autism, but mistakes can be made in the diagnosis process and having biomarker tools to help aid that process and also to even possibly screen symptoms before observable behaviors can be recognized is just another great tool to add to the toolbox in this case.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with you, you know, this is all part of, you know, early intervention and diagnosis, diagnostics also, um, you know, so, something like this, if this works out well enough, you know, and we've gotten our biomarker index to a great uh, level of objectivity, you know, then that that's really good news for people specializing in early intervention and diagnostic research and basically uh, pinpointing the diagnosis, uh, you know, as early as possible. And I I just think that that it's uh, really, really important. And it can it can make a difference in someone's life, I believe, too.
1: Yeah, and I think there is still a stigma to the point where not everybody understands you know, that a lot of difficult or problematic behaviors seen in, in autism, they're, they can be very difficult um, for these individuals to control. And um, I think it's unfortunate, but some people might view those behaviors as Uh, character issues or just you know a child being difficult for no apparent reason and um, when you when you help make a condition be seen um, as more of a you know a medical type condition
0: it can help destigmatize it um, further yeah I definitely do agree with you because whenever I've heard of People telling stories about how horrible it is to live, or how difficult it is to live with a son or a daughter, or someone with autism. I think to myself, okay, but how do they feel? You know, how how do they feel? Is it really just you know how you feel, or is it how you feel and how they feel? I think it would it would make that person without autism. Uh, feel a little bit be, become a different person you know find a side of them that they haven't thought about before um, because you just don't know For someone suffering from such profound autism you don't always know what they're thinking you don't always they, you know that there's some activity going on but they're trying so hard to express it they're trying so hard to you know, figure out how to communicate. Figure out how to express themselves. Figure out any which way that they can belong and that they can be a part of what's going on. And um, there is nobody. Um, it's it's uh, the point in which the matter is is that. Um, there are people who would consider themselves, you know, spokesperson for those types of individuals. But usually, uh, when I was younger and I would hear stuff about how hard it was for, um, and I know it's very, very difficult. It definitely is very, very difficult, but, you know, who is going to take the side? Who is going to take the voice? Who is going to uh, think about um, what the child or what the individual is going through? And I, I think that that is um, definitely something to um, to consider in, in my in my viewpoint. Um, and there's a definite. Uh, kind of uh, this, this battlefield between, uh, you know, parents of children who have profound autism and individuals who are more like me. And I just like to be the mediator to basically say, you know, I, I completely understand what it is that the, that the parents feel, but you you should think about the fact that the child is, you know, it's another human being in your life. And uh, it's another person, the same wants and needs, same qualms, the same desires, the same interests, as everyone else. Um, and maybe they can get, you know, injurious and self-destructive, but they're, but they are but Part of it may be trying to find a way to, to desperately, uh, you know, communicate what it is that they want to communicate. So, uh-huh. you know, that's, it's a very, very hard path to cross, a hard path to walk on if you're a self-advocate, because it basically means that you have to understand that there are people out there see what I've got as kind of, you know, something that that really, really desperately, um, you know, needs to be cured, or it's a sickness, a disease, or it's just something that makes them miserable, and they really, really wish that they can just do away with the condition altogether, and I completely understand that. And then there's also the route of people who are like, well, you know, this, this makes us who we are. This makes us, you know, we're, we're not, this doesn't, this doesn't make us bad people. And this didn't turn us into bad people. We actually, we kind of like the fact that, that this is who we are and what we are. And this is the condition that we have. So, you know, that's, that's uh what I've, what I've tried to do whenever I've had discussions on topics like that, is I've tried to walk the middle ground, the middle line in between all of that, because I think that that is uh, very important uh, you know, for people to understand that not everything is black and white sometimes. Absolutely, and I have to say,
1: as someone who's completely unbiased, I think you always do a good job
0: of walking that middle path. Well, I try, you know, Um, (laughs) there was uh, one interview in the past that we've done this year that I kind of feel like I maybe didn't do that great of a job, but, you know, I I try to prove to other people that, you know, just because I would maybe consider myself or other people would consider me a self-advocate does not mean that, I don't hear people or I don't understand people who, you know, would rather, um, you know, the whole thing, not even be made into something of uh, pride or something of, uh, you know, uh, or or something of, how can I say it? Um, Something of great pleasure. Um, You know, I, I just, I like to. I, I think that part of being a role model and being representative of this uh, foundation and this community is to basically understand all sides of the issue and all sides of the matter, and to not, um, you know. But but of course, because I am a self advocate, I may be a little bit more biased about, you know, that that people should that that. That we should all look at individuals with profound autism and ask ourselves, are are we spending too much time thinking about how difficult it is for the parent versus how difficult it is for the child? So that's all I'm that's all I'm saying. Right.
1: Well, thank you, Merrick, for taking successfully taking both perspectives there. And As a reward, I'm going to hand it over to you now to cover these interesting human stories.
0: Okay, so um, the first story is about the best man's speech by the groom's autistic brother. Social media has been called so many different things, a drag, invasive, demoralizing, perhaps also enlightening, empowering, and connecting. Yet when a bit of positive news goes viral, as it did in the case of the TikTok video of the groom's best man, who is autistic, giving a speech at his brother's wedding, one word, one word missing is this: captivating. And I would like to thank my co-host Dr. Shannock for turning me onto this story here. And if you think I sound too much like Brian Gumble, well, you know, you gotta you gotta follow the people who make these things standard, my friends. What I've realized this year when it comes to stories about people with autism doing big things is that one can be occupied for a story for the spring, the viral LinkedIn note written by an aspiring autistic employee, the summer Billy Mayfair addressing his autism, and the fall, the story we are about to tell now. I think that what connects all of these stories is the universality of each and how hard at work our autism community is at wanting to do good. These are also all adults, so it is important to understand that autism doesn't stop at adulthood, and people can live valuable lives well into their 50s, even with the condition. According to the aptly named Good News Network, one of many sources covering the story, which also includes the video of the speech being given, the two brothers, Jonah and Sam Waldron, may have been apart in age of four-year difference, but they were like comrades. Jonah was able to help his brother, Sam, who has autism, with his difficulties in socializing and communication, which inspired him on a career path to become a special education teacher. As Jonah started working his career, he eventually met the love of his life, Madison, who not only loved Jonah, but became a great friend and influence on Sam's life. Over the summer, the couple got engaged, and Jonah decided that Sam, even with his nervousness at speaking in front of large crowds, would be his best man. It will be a real test as to how much Jonah has helped Sam in his social and communication skills in public. Sam reciprocated his appreciation and love for how much Jonah has helped him with a humorous, self-aware, and energetic speech. He spoke about having autism, how much he loved how his brother saw him as a human being, and how much he felt at peace with his new sister, quote-unquote, Madison. At the end of the speech, which has been viewed over 6 million times with thousands of positive feelings flowing through, he got a standing ovation. Stories like these are shared for a reason. The reality is this. We as humans are always moving forward, embracing differences, creating greater prosperity and greater connectivity between ourselves. We can always look at the world around us in a negative mindset, but it has been true since the dawn of time. Much of that isn't the way the world really is. I know because I have seen it in our clients and our staffers. I have seen it in the triumphs and setbacks of my peers. I have seen it in our evolution and growth as a foundation. I have seen it in the way we work together as a community to create new outcomes and purposes, to deliver hope to those who wouldn't know what to do without us. I have seen it in the stories I review. Not everything has to be sad to encourage giving. Sometimes the best gesture is through positivity, happiness, and encouragement. Now, here's a long, car load to uh, dump on to you, Dr. Shinnock, but uh, this, this story shows that with enough practice, treatment, and therapy, someone who may have ASD could potentially speak to 170 people at a wedding and be very successful. Since your time with us overall, what differences have you seen through our clients through exposure to our programs and services? First of all, I appreciate the question.
1: I want to backtrack just a minute and, and talk about the speech and just how, how moving and magnificent I thought it was. And, um, you know, there, there are themes within the speech that um, are applicable to not just the autism community, but just the whole human race in general. Um, you know, things like brotherhood, um, having each other's backs, um fear of public speaking this is uh this is a, the most common fear even more common than the, than a fear of dying so there's a lot of just relatable elements um that are in this speech and I would highly encourage everyone who has not seen it to take a look at it but uh, to answer your question Merrick um the differences that I've seen, through our clients, um, through the exposure to the the programs and services we offer, I would just say that um, so many of, of the differences are really just um, I think the best word to use is impactful. I think that you know having the opportunity to to see our clients um, experience things that you want to see in all humans, like joy, self-sufficiency, camaraderie, working with their peers. Um, The programs we offer, they cover such a wide variety of domains. And I think that's that's what makes our foundation so unique, is that we offer not just things like individual behavioral therapy that are so useful, but opportunities for you know, our clients to work together in recreational activities like music, art, even sports, and, you know, there are beautiful, um, there are beautiful moments and, and beautiful connections that are made through these programs, and it's not just with the, the clients who are engaging together, but it's their, um, Interactions with our employees and the volunteers who are kind enough to give their time, and I think to parallel that to the speech, um, the best man speech that was given. You know, you have an individual going up there who has some some difficulties. Um, he was very very anxious to give the speech, and you could tell that at certain points his, you know he had a little bit of shaking, and um, there there were nerves. Um, to say the least, and this was an individual who was able to connect um, with an entire audience in spite of some potential differences that they had, and and they were able to see the common ground with each other through through humor, positivity, um, family. You know, these are themes that transcend um, differences between ethnicities, cultures, you know, neurotypical individuals versus, um, versus individuals with autism. And um, I think there were just a lot of beautiful themes on display. And I want to, to circle back for a second. Um, I think it's also a story of, of perseverance. And it shows to me, and this is something I see in the clients, um, you know, how, how much achievement striving they, ha- they have, you know, how well they want to do when it comes to learning, when it comes to performing better at a sport or, um, you know, uh, an artistic activity. There's, there's so much drive um, in people with autism. And I think it's it's admirable and, you know, inspirational to someone like me who has some shortcomings of my own that, uh, you know, I I try to overcome and I think that's consistent for all humans.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, probably one of the biggest, um, you know, myths about autism is that generally people with autism like to be alone. That's not always true. There are plenty of people with autism who want to make friends who want to be in a relationship, who want to feel like that they're loved for who and what they are. And they want to be a part of some kind of bigger, uh, you know, population. And I have had many uh, friends uh, involved as clients and the like. And, you know, if you told me basically that, oh, well, um, many people with, you uh, you know, autism generally like to be alone. Well, I'll just point out, I could point out a few examples, you know, people going to conventions and, and being around others and that kind of thing. So, um, and I think that the more exposure it can give to certain people who, you know, who gravitate towards it, the better it is for them. I mean, not, not everyone uh, has the same kind of, you know, Mental structure, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I think, pretty important for, um, for people to understand that, that, uh, that people really must, that, that it's very, very helpful to put people with autism in social situations. Hmm. And it will also help create greater tolerance. And I know I said this before, but it will help uh, create, create greater tolerance of, uh, you know, the differences we have and how we communicate, how we, you know, mentalize, how we think about things, you know. So, so yeah, I, I, I watched uh, the video myself and um, you know, he was very, very nervous, of course, but you could definitely tell that he really wanted to do it and he wanted to celebrate what was going on. And he, you know, the, the movement of the whole thing just commanded his full attention. And it, it's, it's really, for someone like him to do something like that in front of all those people that is, that that takes some guts. So bravo to, uh, to Sam Waldron. Yes. I
1: second uh, your thoughts there. And uh, one more point on the message of courage uh, when it comes to delivering a speech like that. Um, I think you hit on this a little bit, Merrick, but it's not, it's never good to avoid or run from those situations. Um, there was an instance of Sam and he really just, he knew the importance of that moment for his brother and his family. And he, he dug his heels in and he, he got through it and he did an
0: amazing job. Yeah. Yeah. So um, here's the last story, um, which has a lot of information. Uh, um, It doesn't have as much uh, heavy information attached, but it's still, you know, content uh, rich. And I think that it is good to end this program, the last one for the year, by emphasizing in greater detail about why it is good to give at the end of the year. Here are six reasons that I came up with. Well, I also sourced it a little bit too as to so why to donate to us at the end of the year. The first one is that allows you to set an example for your children on generosity during the holidays. During the holidays, we are encouraged to give, give, give until we are worn out. Black Friday was originally created to encourage the spirit of giving by flashing prices on what would have been considered luxury items. And both Christmas and Hanukkah are motivated by the act of gift giving. So while you are feeling festive, why not give to a charity or two that matters to you? Second, because New Year's resolutions and procrastination may go hand in hand. You ever check mark during a year as to what resolutions you've actually succeeded at? Maybe you want to lose 20 pounds. Those fatty foods are still so good that it is easier to just put off the resolution until later. Since resolutions are meant to accomplish things and achieve positive results, a proper resolution may include giving to charity. Since you may have saved enough money for the end of the year and may receive a year-end bonus, it may be good to use some of that to achieve a resolution that involves giving. Three, because of one's connectivity to others. Usually the holidays are the best ways to connect with family and friends and may also be the easiest way to pitch to people who are close to you on the importance of giving to whatever cause, charity, organization, or foundation that you would want. Sometimes people may use the holidays as a way to go on vacation, which can allow them to serve as cause ambassadors to wherever they may end up, especially if they are connected areas. Four, because it just feels good. Sometimes during the holiday season, the overall feeling in the air is of jubilance and goodwill. And for many people, even spending a little bit of money to help someone out can create a great sense of euphoria that few can ever match. Five, because of the availability. Generally, charities, organizations, and foundations are most open and available during the holiday season and may have special events that are not common for the full year. If you go to a grocery store during the holidays, you may find a Salvation Army donation box. Or if you keep up with us, our InterAbility course program and our musical theater program typically puts on their big productions at the end of the year. Six, I know this is going to sound a little bit crazy to say, but for tax write-offs. Any deductible contributions made at the end of the year will still count for that year of taxes. Many people like to donate to organizations, foundations, any charity for the fact that an incentive is that they get to pay less on taxes. Dr. Chinock, what are a few other reasons why one should give to us at the end of the at the end of the year? Well, one of the
1: obvious reasons I can think of is um, in order to help our foundation. Even more, there's some magical things going on as far as um, advancing the types of interventions that we have and just overall making an environment where people with autism can live more positive and productive lives. And you know, having a chance to be an, uh, um, a part of that is a great opportunity, and um, just know that you know, you, you could be the difference in helping put a smile on somebody's face um, and, and really just helping enhance their quality of life. Um, second, I think you you hit on this before and I was happy you did, but there's been a lot of research done in the psychological world on how donating um, to charitable causes can improve your overall self-esteem and well-being and, um, you know, just, it can help your mental health to actually feel like you're contributing to something that's maybe bigger than, uh, than yourself or any individual. And so it's, it's a great opportunity to set a good example and, and also just, um, feel good
0: for the holidays. Those are definitely uh, some great points you brought up, Nate. So anyways, um, as usual, before we go, we want to thank the foundation for believing in us to be able to do a podcast for any willing listeners. Because of that, we will be seeing you again in January with some more coverage on us, on the autistic community in general. But before we use our last bit of energy to yell forward to each of all of you, we want to wish you all the best of times, the best of whatever it is you are celebrating, and to enjoy yourselves before you hear us again. Any last words, Nate, uh, for the last podcast of the year?
1: Yes, thank you. Just would like to, again, thank the foundation for allowing us to present this podcast. We've had, we've been blessed with some great opportunities to talk to some amazing people um, in the field in general and also who work at the foundation and would like to thank you, Merrick, for all, your, all the hard work you put into these episodes um, to make things interesting and fun and happy holidays to all. Please uh, take care of yourselves and we'll see you in the new year.
0: Okay. Let's uh, count down in five, four, three, two, one, four. Also, Happy New Year for. <laughs>
3: I could fly so high, oh like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh like a butterfly A moth is a butterfly without any colours, but what's beautiful is what's inside. Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide. Well I'm just a caterpillar crawling around Knowledge in my head but my feet on the ground Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky Like a butterfly I wish that I could fly So high Oh like a butterfly I fly into the air So high Oh like a butterfly Like a bird I was meant to soar I will fly through the sunlight And even when it pours It can't stop me when I get a hold of the wind In the future, eyes will light up To think that I was once a poor cat and pup. We'll grow up and take to the sky Like a flock of butterflies I wish I could fly So high Oh, like a butterfly I'll fly into the air so high you oh, like a butterfly